Welcome to Hebrew Bible Insights, a podcast about making sense of the Hebrew Bible. We engage in the study of the Hebrew Bible in its ancient Near Eastern context and original languages to promote good and reasonable interpretation of Scripture so that the church might live more faithfully in the present. So it's January and you are maybe starting a Bible reading plan. And it's really common for many people to start with Genesis. It makes sense that it is the first book. And in Hebrew, its name is Bereshit, which means something like in the beginning. It's just the first word of the book. So it's a natural place to start. And I want to give you some thoughts about how to get more out of your Bible reading experience as you go through Genesis. Now, I think for many people, it's not one of the more intimidating books, and it's also not one of the more boring books. Generally, people stop once they get to Leviticus. That's the confusing, boring book. We like Genesis. But regardless of how much you know about Genesis, whether you really don't know anything about it, or if you're a seasoned expert and you've read this book multiple times, I want to give you a few tips about how to get more out of this book by sharing a few perspectives. And I think the the first place that I would want to start with is just a, a good pitch for why it's so interesting. And what I call Genesis is the ultimate origin story. I love origin stories. I like prequels. I like knowing how did things begin? How did things start? Why is this character this way? How did, how did the world in this fictional universe come about and all the culture and everything? So I love it with fiction stories and I love it with the Bible. Uh, it's the same for me with uh, with learning about people. I like learning, you know, how did you get passionate about the thing you're passionate about? When did you first learn that you were interested in this? And if any of these things are interesting to you, you will like Genesis because that's what it does as a whole. It's trying to help us know what is the plot of the biblical story from the earliest point, literally from the beginning. And you can actually track the idea of the ultimate origin story through more than just Genesis 1 through 3. So that's the first insight I want to give you is Genesis is the ultimate origin story. The obvious piece is that Genesis 1 through 3 is really good for understanding how God created the world and how God created the first people and uh, the origin of sin and how that fractured a relationship with God. But I think we often stop there and say, okay, origin story done. Now we're going on to regular story. Well, you can actually read all of Genesis through this lens because every single major place and people group has their origin in the book of Genesis somewhere. Now that might sound like a fun fact to you, maybe even a Jeopardy question. You're like, wait, is that really true? Let me give you a few examples. Babylon. Babylon is one of the most important people groups in the whole story of scripture. Uh, They're the ones responsible for exiling uh, uh, Judah. So uh, you think about Babylon, you think, oh yeah, they don't come up until toward the end of the book of Kings. They're like midway through my Bible, right? Well, actually Babylon comes up in a really famous way and you maybe just didn't realize it because translators make an interesting choice most of the time uh, in Genesis chapter 11. Maybe you've heard of the Tower of Babel story, a very famous story where where, uh, it's not just individuals, but an entire society has chosen to rebel against God and their own arrogance and pride and build a tower so tall that they reach the heavens. Well, that's actually not the Tower of Babel. It's actually the Tower of Babylon. What that said for a second, the story is the Tower of Babylon. 
So what's the deal? Why, why do we not know this? It's because the Hebrew word for Babylon is Babel, Babel, which actually sounds a lot like Babel. So every time in Hebrew when you, or in English, when you see Babylon, the Hebrew word is most of the time Babel. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 11, the translators know there's a word play that kind of happens in English where we have our English word Babel, how the languages were confused, people are babbling about, and it sounds like the Hebrew word Babel. So they decide, let's preserve the wordplay. What, what we miss is we don't realize that Genesis 11 is the origin story of how Babylon came to be. That this wicked nation of Babylon led by King Nebuchadnezzar that's conquering all these nations, uh, their origin story, uh, according to the Bible, is very different from Babylon's own. Babylon thought we are the gateway to the gods. And uh, the Hebrew Bible says, no, you're actually arrogant and misguided. Uh, you think that you can gain power through your arrogance and your pride and what we can accomplish as a people. But no, it's not that way. You can't make a name great for yourself. Only God makes things great. He's His name is the one that's great, and he will make people's names great so that he can accomplish his purposes. So anyway, Babylon, their origins there. A couple other examples. Edom, the Edomites, they're a very important people group in the biblical story. This very small book of Obadiah is a book of prophecy that's related to the Edomites, and they live very close to the land of Israel. And what you might not realize is that the Edomites actually come from Esau. Esau. Now, those names don't sound similar at all in English. It's because Esau got a nickname in the book of Genesis, and he gets his nickname because he he's so starving that he can't think straight. He can't think strategically. He gives in uh, to his brother's trickery and he eats stew, uh, specifically red stew, by the way. In fact, we actually don't know if it was stew or not, but he eats this red food, this warm red food that his brother had made and uh, traded his birthright for it. The word for red in Hebrew is Edom, Edom, or in modern Hebrew, Adom, but biblical Hebrew in there, it's Edom. And so uh, Edom, it just means red. And they're the descendants of Esau. So that's an interesting little origin story for you. The last one I'll give you is the Moabites. The Moabites are really important. They are often in battle with Israel. They're also neighbors to Israel. Uh, the story of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. She's very famous. Well, the Moabites, their origin story is a really painful one that's not appropriate for a kid's classroom time, but it's through incest. So uh, Lot... Uh, Lot's daughters sleep with him uh, after um, after Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed because I think that it's the end of the world. They get him drunk and then they sleep with him. And one of them, their kid, they name Moab. And so Moab's origin is through incest. Moab comes up later on in the biblical story as the ones who are responsible for help causing Israel to uh, commit spiritual adultery uh, where they lead them to idolatry. In the book of Exodus. So anyway, you can track a lot of these people groups. And as you read through Genesis, if you read carefully, you'll note the major people groups and major themes pop up in Genesis. So that's the first thing I would tell you is, remember, Genesis is the ultimate origin story. A lot of cool connections you can make. Uh, the second thing that I want to point out is Genesis often feels like two separate books. You have Genesis 1 through 11 and then 12 through 50. Genesis 1 through 11 
has some of the most famous stories of all the Bible, where you have creation, Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, Tower of Babel. These feel very ancient. These feel epic, even cosmic. And then 12 through 50 is where you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And these stories, uh, they feel more like a family drama. It's very different from a huge flood or the fall of mankind. It's like, oh, I have family strife problems with my siblings. How do these books go together? Well, again, Genesis has something for everybody. So if you're drawn to big cosmic stories about huge floods and towers trying to build up to the heavens, then you're going to love that part of the book. But if you like things that involve character conflict and family drama, you're going to love Genesis 12 through 50. But what I want you to see is these two sections are actually linked together very intentionally, very intentionally. In Genesis chapter 11, the people building the Tower of Babylon say, let us make a name for ourselves. That's the key phrase. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, this is the very next story. God tells Abraham, I am going to make your name great. So they're contrasted against each other. One is a story of people coming together saying, let's make our name great. Another is God choosing someone and saying, I'm going to make your name great. And then what's the difference in the outcome? Uh, You kind of have to read between the lines, but it seems the Tower of Babylon story, uh, they're trying to either make themselves out to be gods or to be greater than God, because they think the gods live in the heavens. And if we build something that tall, we'll become equal to them. It's it, Honestly, it's like a society level version of the story of Adam and Eve with uh, when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because they thought, hey, we'll be like God if we do it. Well, Tower of Babel is kind of similar. If we build a tower way up where the gods live, then we'll be like God. So it's, again, it's people forgetting one, we're already made in God's image. That's beautiful. We don't need to strive to be God. And it's also a story of remembering our place, remembering that God, he is Lord. We're humans. Uh, we are not the rulers of our own lives. We follow him. So anyway, the, the outcome with Genesis 12 is one that leads to humility and to surrender. It's a person realizing God out of your grace, you've chosen to work through me and I'm going to follow you in faith. And that's the direction that Genesis 12 wants us to lead. Obviously, Abraham isn't perfect, but that's the point of where this stuff goes. So anyway, when you read Genesis 11 and you switch to chapter 12, it might feel like a huge difference, but it's it's less of a difference than you think. It's following the same plot line. God's trying to save a broken world, and he's simply chosen one family to work through. One last contrast between chapter 11 and chapter 12. Chapter 11 you start with a story that is the thing everyone would talk about. If there was social media, you would see it on every TikTok video. It would be on your Instagram and Facebook feeds. News stations would be covering it. A lot of attention would be there. We're building the biggest tower ever. Whereas Genesis chapter 12, no one would even know. Just some random person from a city of Ur, and God calls him and says, I choose you. Leave your family and go take a vacation. No one would cover that story. So if at the beginning you had to say, what was God involved in? 
people would say, oh, it has to be that Tower of Babel, right? No, he wasn't involved in that. It's the story of Abraham. And it's a good reminder of don't follow something because it's big or seems impressed from the outside. Whatever God's involved in, no matter what the size seems, that's what you want to be involved in. And for the rest of the stories, you follow a family. So that's the second thing I want you to see. The third and final thing that I think is worth looking at with the story of Genesis is understanding what makes 12 through 50 so interesting. I think for many, chapters 1 through 11 are they're more obviously interesting. Uh, but 12 through 50, especially if you're not so much the let me watch family drama television shows, you might think, oh, what, what's, the, what's the point? I know there's a covenant. I know it matters, but I don't really care about sibling strife. In fact, you know, I have enough in my own life. I don't need to read a story about it. Let me help show what's so important about it and why it's interesting. If you want to summarize really the whole book of Genesis, you could do it in this way. Um, specifically 12 through 50, is you could summarize it with this. Will Abraham become a family? And will that family actually bless all the other families of the earth? That's what the whole section's about. How do we know this? If you read Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm going to make your name great. And he talks about how he's going to become a family. And he said, you are going to become a family I'm going to bless you. Why? So that you'll be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That language is very intentional. God could have said all the nations, all the civilizations, whatever, but he chose families. He chose a person to become a family and bless all the other families. So the story is immediately interesting though, because in chapter 12, we quickly find out that Abraham struggles to even be a blessing to his own wife. They don't, even, they don't even have a kid yet. And he really has some learning to do about how to treat his wife right. And obviously they have to have faith and God steps in. They miraculously have a child. But you, if you track every generation in Abraham's family, you notice that they struggle to even be a blessing to each other. And if they can't be a blessing to each other, how can they be a blessing to other people? And there are a few times when they as a family interact with other people groups, with other families. And it's like, how, how do they handle that? How, do they do it well? Do things lead to blessing? Do things lead to terrible situations? Is it a mixture of both? This is where the story of Joseph brings a lot of these themes together. You have Joseph, who through a long story, ends up becoming a ruler in a very powerful nation, that influences many families. And we have a story that at the end of the day, Joseph, uh, to a very strong degree, he is a blessing to many families of the earth. And what's especially powerful though, is not only does he help people survive a famine all around the region, but he finds a way to actually forgive his brothers and bring reconciliation. As always, I have to say the story is more complicated than that. It's not just to everyone in Joseph's story is, is a goody two-shoes person. Joseph has some flaws, so do his brothers. But just big picture here is, is Joseph gives us a, um, a little bit of a hopeful progression showing that, okay, we, we, we're kind of getting there. We're, we're learning some lessons about how to be a family, even if it's messy, and how to be a blessing, even if we're dealing with selfishness. 
So anyway, everything from Abraham to Joseph, track that theme, see what you discover. You'll see how uh, people interact with uncles and aunts, moms, dads, brothers, siblings. And if you really pay close attention, you can see who's still alive during stories and realize, hey, even though even though grandpa is not talked about, he's still alive, he's still around, and it will help make sense of generational dysfunction that they have to deal with. So it's powerful for understanding the plot of what God's trying to do. He's trying to use one family to bless all families so that they can become a part of God's family. That's the plot, right? The goal is we become a part of God's family. That's what it means to be a blessing to other families. And that's what we see in the New Testament, that people like John say, behold, we are God's children now, right? That was the goal. We have our amazing heavenly father, that we are a part of God's family through Jesus. Genesis, we see the early plot of this story. Putting the plot to the side, though, I think Genesis is a great place to feel like you belong. Why do I say that? So many of us have difficult family situations. You have people that are really hard for you to be around, people that you want to be restored, things that every holiday season is difficult, or maybe you live in the same town and you deal with a lot of tension, and maybe you don't feel hope for your family. Again, Genesis is a great book to help remind you that it's worth fighting that battle for your family. Uh, Maybe you feel guilty and shameful about your family and it makes you feel like you can't be around other people uh, to be around other Christians. Well, Genesis should help you feel like, Hey, you belong. If you feel like your family is a mess, welcome to the club. Okay. And God works through all of that. And God will work in, in and through you as a person is trying to work through your family. Everyone has their own free will and certain situations might be dangerous and you have to create boundaries. But at the, at the end of the day, what we see is that God cares about family. Family is a huge, huge value that he cares about. So in summary, I think a few things for you to think about as you read through Genesis this year is first be excited about how Genesis is the ultimate origin story. And if there's any connections that you see, I would love for you to post comments on our YouTube channel, or you can email me at Matthew at HebrewBibleInsights.com. What kind of connections do you see? What people groups or what themes or motifs do you see in Genesis that are throughout the rest of the Bible? Also, the link between Genesis 11 through 12 is huge. In fact, you could say that Genesis 1 through 50, it's really all connected, actually. I just made one connection. If you see any connections between those, I would love to hear about that as well. And then lastly, the tension of Genesis 12 through 50 is, will Abraham become a family? And will this family bless all the families of the earth? Hopefully this helps you as you're diving into reading scripture this year. And if you find this content helpful, we'd love for you to subscribe uh, and hit the like button. Or if you're listening on the podcast, if you can share this with others and leave a review, that'd be super helpful. We also make content on Patreon that's exclusive there and you can help support our cause. So uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode and we'll see you next time.